Spirit in here tonight. Amen. God bless you. It's good to have you here tonight. And um, I'm going to quickly read a verse, and then we're going to take up the tithe and offering and get straight into the book of Genesis. How many of you have been reading Genesis any on your own? I see a couple of people, George and Michelle. What's y'all's last name? I'm just kidding. They moved into another house. And let's see, Joe and Beverly, let's see, I'm trying to remember. Donovan! I'm kidding, y'all. It's just good to see you. Can you say with me, God is good tonight? The Bible calls God, he who supplies seed to the sower. He supplies seed to the sower. And he supplies bread for food. So I want you to notice that God supplies two things. Now, we're really focused on one of them. We love it when God provides bread for food. But guess what, everybody? God provides in two ways to his people, seed to the sower and bread for food and bread for food. So when we get paid, guess what God just did? He gave you bread for food, but he also gave seed to a sower. That's what he did. And it says that when we sow that seed that God provided, he supplies and multiplies the seed. He he supplies it, and then he multiplies it. He supplies it, And then he multiplies, it says, the seed you have sown. No seed can be multiplied unless it's sown. you got to sow it. So if you want love, sow some love. If you want friendship, sow some friendship. Uh, Listen, that's the way God set up the world. Seed time and harvest. That's the way he set up the world. So that goes across the board in in all spectrums of life. And so tonight we're going to sow, and guess what? He can multiply what we sow. And so we've got bread for food and seed to sow. And if you're making out a check, make it out simply to TPF. And Kathy sends her love. She couldn't be here tonight. She's working tonight. And um, so our prayers are with her, and I miss her. And uh, uh, I know that she wishes she was here instead. I guarantee you that. And so anyway, let's stand tonight and, and uh, just pray over the tithe and offering. Then we're going to get right into the word. We've been having such a rich time in the book of Genesis, and we got into some deep stuff last week. I don't think I've ever had y'all go out so quiet, and um, I'm going to just continue in that book tonight. It's a great book. I've enjoyed studying it, and I've really been studying it a lot. It's an incredible book. So let's just pray. Father, we just thank you tonight for seed to sow, that we've got bread for food, and seed to sow. Now, Lord, bless every gift that is given, and I thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you as you're seated, and um, praise the Lord. George, run up here real quick and just tell us how your move has gone, and then I'll let you sit back down. Come on, George. I feel like you need to give a testimony because there's no test without some moaning. So come on. So you've moved into a new house. I got to tell you up front, I hate moving. You do too? But just has God gotten glory out of it? 
Yes, but when my wife would sit down and start crying and say, I hate this house, I knew something was wrong. But she's all right now, though. Wow, I didn't mean to go out where angels fear to tread. <laughs> no, it was, it was tough, but we're getting there. We're getting there. Well, it's just good to see you guys here again tonight. And Amen. All right. Okay, good. All right. If you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, let's turn to the book of Genesis. And we're going to look tonight at the flood that covered the world. The flood that covered the world. We're in Genesis 6. And I'm going to back up just a little bit. Genesis 6. And... Um, Verse 1, let me just back up a little bit, and I want to just kind of clarify some things from last week. How many of you walked away and went straight home and tried to look some things up from what I shared last week? Anybody? I guarantee you, if you'd have had my email address, I'd have been swamped. So let's just look at it real quick. Uh, we, we ended last week with talking about uh, these verses. Now it came to pass, verse 1, when men began to multiply on the face of the earth and daughters were born to them that the sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were beautiful. They took wives for themselves of all whom they chose. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not strive with man forever, for he is indeed flesh, yet his days shall be 120 years. Now verse 4 talks about the offspring of this union or these unions between sons of God and the daughters of men. These were giants on the earth in those days. And also afterward, when the sons of God came into the daughters of men and they bore children to them, those were the mighty men who were of old, men of renown. All right, let's pray over the word tonight, can we? Father, we thank you for your word, and we pray you'll bless it in Jesus' name. Now, will you say with me, Lord, I receive with meekness the engrafted word that is able to save my soul. Amen. Now, I closed last week. This is not our text for tonight, but I want to just, uh, just kind of summarize this. I closed last week talking about this. And uh, who were the sons of God and who were the daughters of men? Well, some have taught that the sons of God were the offspring of Seth, who we read about in um, chapter 5. Um, and so on and so forth. It's the, the, the second son of, uh, or the third son of uh, Adam, Seth. And Seth is of the lineage of Christ, or Christ is of the lineage of Seth. And so some have taught that these sons of God were the lineage of Seth, but they're not. That doesn't hold up. It just will not hold up. We were sharing last night that uh, Simon Peter makes it very, very clear that these sons of God were angelic beings. And... Um, Peter says that they left their first habitation. They left their proper habitation and came to earth, rebelled against the divine order of God, and came into union with human women. Now, some have said, how, how could such a thing happen? How could that take place? And uh, I came uh, tonight with something that was handed to me last night, and uh, it came in handy for me today. But I want to just uh, read this to you, and it helps explain it. And are we focused there? Is that focused pretty good? 
No, it's not. How's that? Right there. That'll do. Okay, let me just read it. It would seem that during this obscure antediluvian age, and what was antediluvian, everybody, all you scholars? Pre-flood, before the flood, about which we know so little, these fallen angels chose to leave their particular position and to assume human form in order to cohabit with mortal women, called, in contrast, daughters of men. The result of this was to produce a strange race of gigantic beings called Nephilim. Nephilim. However, it seems more likely that the explanation is given to us by Jude. Now, this person that we were just reading is now quoting someone else. However, it seems more likely the explanation is given to us by Jude when he says of these angels that they left their proper dwelling and presumably took up improper dwelling places. Now, bodies in Scripture are called dwelling places. This very term Jude uses uh, is elsewhere used in Scripture applied to the body. Its use here implies that the angels took up residence where they did not belong. This, therefore, is suggestive of what we have in the New Testament in the days of our Lord in the many, many cases of demonic possession, and I don't know what happened right there, um, talked about in the pages of Scripture. Evil spirits, fallen angels, possessed the bodies of men, and these demon-possessed men married women, and produced a race of strange beings called here in Genesis 6, the Nephilim. They were a race of giants. The word Nephilim is confirming of this whole idea because it means what, everybody? The fallen ones. All this strongly suggests that demonic possession has the ability to affect genetic structure. The chromosomes are changed so that the progeny are markedly different. A sort of mutation takes place, and the result is a pronounced change in the children of such a union. We know today that LSD has this kind of an effect upon the genetic structure. Chromosomatic changes take place, and children can be malformed and mentally deficient because of the use of LSD by their parents. Now, here's what this individual is getting at. He's saying that these unions between angelic beings, when they left their proper abode, and, and we don't know how it took place. We don't know how they presented themselves to women. It, it, they, they could have taken on a human form because the Bible makes it very, very clear that Satan beca can become an angel of light. And, and who knows how he approached the... I don't know. Or these spirits, these angels left their proper abode and did what other fallen spirits we know as daimonion or demons do. They could have inhabited male bodies and these individuals being demon-possessed approached the women. I don't know, but we do know that it happened. It happened. And there was a race, Nephilim, came from this. Now, I shared with you last week, and it's very important we catch this, why in the world would the devil do this? Why in the world would the enemy uh, incite angels to rebel? 
against their proper order in the divine order of God and incite them to cohabit with women and mix the race with angelic versus human. Why? I'm going to tell you why. He wanted to destroy the potential of Genesis 3.15. What's Genesis 3.15? It is what God told the devil was going to happen because he incited Adam and Eve to fall. It says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. Now, when he heard that, when the devil heard that, he knew this is what God is going to do. And, and here's what God, he threatened him with this. He, he, he prophesied this. He's going to bruise your head, devil. And you're going to bruise his heel. Now, that is a key verse for the whole Bible. That's sort of the John 3.16 of the Old Testament. Because there God is saying, the day is going to come that out of the seed of the woman... One is going to be born who is going to, to deal you a death blow. He's going to destroy your power and you're going to bruise his heel. We know on the cross, Jesus' heel was bruised. But when he shed his blood, Satan's head was destroyed. His power over death, hell, and the grave were destroyed. Now see, God had said, it's got to come through. He will come through the seed of the woman who has come into union with a man. That is, he's going to be a human being. Even though Jesus' father was not human, it was God, but, but he came from the seed of a fully human woman. And what the devil was trying to do in what we just read is he was trying to mix human with angelic so that Genesis 3.15 could not come to pass. Say, Pastor, that's just heavy stuff. It's heavy stuff, but you know what? The Bible's heavy. But that's what happened. And that's why Peter tells us that Jesus went and preached to those spirits because the Bible tells us, by revelation that God gave to Simon Peter primarily, Simon Peter said, those demons, those fallen angels who did that are under a special judgment as we sit here tonight. They have been reserved in darkness, in chains, waiting for the judgment. Demon spirits, other demon spirits that were not involved in this particularly heinous attempt to stop the plan of God, they roam about looking for a place to rest inside a person. But these spirits don't roam. They are chained in darkness right now waiting for the judgment. And it says in Simon Peter, uh, 2 Peter that Jesus went and, and preached to them or declared something to them. And here's why I believe he went to them. Between his burial and his resurrection, he went to them. Why did he go to them, and what in the world would he say to them? I think he particularly went to them to say, you tried to stop me. I'm here to inform you I'm risen from the dead. And the blood was shed. There is a particular animus between God and those, those spirits that did this. I believe 
This was one of the main motivators of God in bringing a flood on the whole earth. Because man was under such a satanic assault. Matter of fact, we're about to read how bad it really was. So let's just go over to Genesis 6-7. So is everybody with me on this now? All right. Genesis 6-7. So the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth. I believe the reason God came to this final, that's it, I can't take any more, is because he saw his plan under such an assault. And he knew if I don't if I don't wipe out everything and save just a few and carry on humankind from there, the whole thing's going to be ruined and nothing is going to stop me from sending the Redeemer. So look what he says in verse 7. I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping thing and birds of the air, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. He goes through the genealogy of Noah, just tells us who his three sons were. Noah was a just man. Look how it describes him. Perfect, perfect, blameless, and really the Hebrew would, would read having integrity. He was filled with integrity. He was a just man of high integrity in his generations. And look what it says. Noah walked with God. And Noah begot three sons. Shem Ham, and Japheth. You might want to circle them because probably next week we're going to be looking at how through them the whole earth was repopulated. And look what it says in verse 11. Now it's going to describe man's wickedness, man's wickedness in those days. The antediluvian population. Here's the way they were. The earth was corrupt before God. And the earth was, say it with me, filled with violence. So God looked upon the earth, and indeed it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, the end of all flesh has come before me. For the earth, now look how violence grieved God. The whole earth is filled with violence through them. Now you can mark this down. As man corrupts, violence increases every time. If you want to know how corrupt a, a culture is, a population is, or the world is, look at the level of violence, because as corruption increases, so does violence. And so here's this description. The whole earth was filled with violence because of them, and so I'm going to destroy everything. I'm going to wipe out everything. Now, Jesus talked about the days of Noah, and he added some things to this description. And so let's just read Matthew 24, 37 through 39 together, can we? But as the days of Noah were. So say it with me, Jesus believed in Noah and the ark. If it's good enough for him, it's good enough for me. So if he obviously put his full belief in the story of Noah and the ark, then so do I. So no, it's not a fairy tale or a fable. For as in the days before the flood, what were they doing? They were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark. Stop a minute. Oh, that is so terrible. Eating and drinking, marrying, giving in marriage. What is wrong with that? 
Here's what Jesus was describing. God was sending warnings to these people all the time. And here's what he's saying. His description is describing a laissez-faire, indifferent, reckless attitude to the warnings of God. These people are hearing warnings coming at them all the time, and they're just saying, hey, let's go eat. Let's go have a Coke. Let's go get married. Let's have kids. Let's just go on with life as usual. In other words, they're not phased at all by the warnings of God. What did Nineveh do when Jonah came through and preached repentance? They all, from the king to the lowest peasant, fasted and repented immediately. What are these people doing? Eating, drinking, marrying, giving in marriage. And they did not know. They did not know until the flood came and took all of them away. This is what Jesus said. The flood came and took all of them away. Now what did he say? He was looking back and saying, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. What are they going to be doing? Eating, drinking, marrying, giving in marriage, life as usual. There's going to be people like us, preachers out there, ministers out there, Christians out there, saying an incredible event is coming. Jesus is about to return. This world is coming under judgment. You know what they're going to do? Huh? Huh? Jesus said it's going to be that way. God closes verse 13 by telling Noah, I will destroy them with the whole earth. Now I want you to know, folks, here you are, you're Noah. I want you to just stop, think for a minute. You're, you're, you're walking with God. You got three sons, three daughters-in-law, a wife. You're just living on the, at the house, living life, going on day to day. Suddenly God talks to you and says, hey, listen, I'm going to destroy every living thing. And I'm going to cover the earth with water out of the sky. There had never been rain out of the sky. There had never been a rainbow. Because the moisture wasn't in the air. A mist rose up from the ground. And then, he's way inland, he's way inland, and God says, I want you to build a gigantic boat. Now, let me tell you what. You're thinking... I have gone psychotic, or this is real. You know, I tried to imagine myself, because there's not 30 other people getting this same word. It's you. What do you think his sons thought? Sons, gather around. Ham, Shem, Japheth, come here, i got to tell you something. Bring the girls, too. They all gather around. Well, God talked to me. Now, remember, they had no Bible. There was no Bible until Moses. They had no Bible. Not one written word. Oh, God talked to you, Dad? Well, what did he say? Well, first of all, water's coming out of the sky. (laughs) Really? One of them, you know, they're looking at each other. He says, and this whole earth is going to be destroyed. 
and every human being that does not listen to me and repent is going to be destroyed. And this entire planet is going to be completely submerged in water. This is bad, boys. I don't know what Mrs. Noah was doing, but I got to tell you, that's a heavy word. Now, I want you to know, I'm glad the Bible tells us what he did, because look at Hebrews 11, 7, and let's just read how he responded. Say with me, by faith, Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, he moved with godly fear and prepared an ark for the saving of... He did it for his household. That was what was in his heart. Hey, if this whole planet's going, I'm at least getting my family saved. So he says, he prepared an ark for the saving of his household by which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteous, which is according to faith. Now I looked up that little phrase, mood with fear, and it does not use the Greek word phobos. When you see the word, we get phobia from that. When you see the Greek word phobos, it means dread, terror, or fright. He did not hear this from God and panic or have fright. But the, the Greek word that was used means to act cautiously, to reverence, and to stand in awe. So he hears this word, and you know what he did? He, he said, awesome. That's what you do when you stand in awe. What is awe? Some. It's when you have some awe. awesome so he listens to God he hears God and he goes oh I believe I believe I believe I believe this is stunning y'all because listen a word on that level I would want a hundred confirmations 30 angels 20 cloud formations I'd want all kinds of things but he just moved he moved with awesome reverence now i got you I, I just want you to use your imagination for a minute because here peter tells us about noah too peter tells us that upon hearing this word from god noah became a preacher he wasn't a preacher before that but he became a preacher and look at second peter five or, or two in verse five I don't know what that 5 8 is. I messed up. But let's just read it. And, and did not, God did not spare the ancient world, but he saved Noah, one of eight people, and what does it call him? A preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood on the world of the ungodly. Now, he gets this word and he starts preaching. Now, the Bible's uh, very clear that he built the ark for 120 years. It took him 120 years. So, for 120 years, God bore with these people. For 120 years, after he said, that's all I can stand, it's over with. I'm sending a flood. Can you imagine this old man going out there, and one writer put it this way, with every swing of that hammer, he spoke judgment over that generation. They would walk by, and I want to promise you this, because of the way they are described for us by Jesus, marrying, giving him marriage, they weren't taking this man seriously at all. 
a flood is coming. Now this is what he did. Preacher, Caruso, means to declare. I mean, he got out there in front of his boat, and he said, there is a flood coming. You're all going to die. You've all become corrupt. God has had it. Repent. And he was the neighborhood nut. Not one convert. Not one. Not one convert for 120 years. But he said repent for 120 years. What a man of faith. Moved by things not yet seen. I love that yet, because there's a lot of things not seen yet. We don't see Jesus coming again in the clouds yet, but he's coming. He was moved by things not yet seen. Peter also tells us, that while Noah preached and built the ark, look what it says in 1 Peter 3.20. What was going on in heaven? The divine long-suffering waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared. While they mocked him, walked past him, made fun of him, ridiculed him, took him lightly, ignored him, this man, this man kept on preaching and God sat in heaven, and it says the divine long-suffering waited. The divine long-suffering waited. I tell you, that just moves me. When I hear that, that moves me. I'm looking for something here real quickly. Look what the Bible says about our day. So it is now. Peter wrote concerning our day, but beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but what is he? He's long-suffering. We look out there and we say, look at this wickedness, look at this evil, look at this murder and mayhem and terrorism and evil and men being inhumane with men and, 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 and uh, all the the terrible, and, and if God is really a God of love, how can he let all this go on? And, and if he's really there, then how is he letting these things take place? Children be murdered and, and, and nations destroyed and bloodshed and, and all that. How can, if God's there, how can this happen? There's your answer right there. Long suffering. Why? Because he doesn't want anyone to perish. Now catch this, y'all. It must be horrible to die without Christ. If he's willing to be long-suffering like he was in the days of Noah, it must be something beyond the scope of our imaginations to grasp. It must be so bad to lose your soul that God would let all this continue as long as he has. If I was God, I'd have wrapped it up centuries ago. I would have. 
I read about the Dark Ages, the Middle Ages, all that went on there and before then, all through the history of mankind. It's just one story of one war after another after another and bloodshed and mayhem. Mankind hasn't changed. I would have wrapped it up long ago. But God says, no, I don't want anyone to perish. So you don't look up and say, well, he's just, you know, it, things are going on like they always have. There's no Jesus. He's not coming back. This is all a bunch of hooey. It's a bunch of religion. It's a bunch of bunk. No, it's not. The divine long-suffering is waiting. Hmm. He's waiting. But I'm going to guarantee you, as we're about to see, when his time comes, it comes. It comes. As surely as the flood came in Noah's day, judgment will come in ours. I know it, y'all. I know it. I'm sure of it. I'm sure of it because I know my Bible is the Word of God. And I see that the things it tells me are going to happen in my life. If I do this, this happens according to the Word. If I do that, that happens according to the Word. If I, if I believe in Christ, I'm changed according to the Word. So many prophecies have already come to pass, exactly as God said. There's very little waiting to take place. And he said, judgment is coming. And so it says, look what it says is going to happen. Peter goes on in verse 10. <clears throat> but the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with a fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Now, I want you to notice that when Jesus talked about Noah, he immediately drew a parallel to himself, and he said, as it was in Noah's day, it's going to be that way in the day that I return. G Peter now draws the same parallel. He's talking about Noah, and then he pulls it up into our day. He says, as it happened in Noah's day, it's going to happen in our generation. After 120 years of faithfully obeying God, Noah entered the ark. It says, so Noah, with his sons, his wife, and his sons' wives, went into the ark because of the waters of the flood, of clean animals, of animals that are unclean, of birds, and of everything that creeps on the earth, two by two, they went into the ark. You know, people say, well, you know, that's just ridiculous. How did all those animals and birds know this? How do you go find all those things? That's just crazy. Listen to what the Bible says in Genesis 6, verse 20. It says of the birds after their kind, of animals after their kind, and of every creeping thing of the earth after its kind, two of every kind, this is God talking to Noah, two of every kind will come to you to keep them alive. They'll come to you. Noah stood outside that ark and finally, the snail reached the ark. How they know that God said, come. Now, when I read that, I'm going to tell you, that did something in my spirit. Because the same spirit that said to the rhinoceros and the elephant, that said to the alligator, and said to the lion, and the tigers, and the bears, that said to all the species of birds, 
come. That same drawing spirit draws people. They will come to you. They will come to you. I mean, this was so sovereign, y'all. So sovereign. Wow. And it came to pass after seven days that the waters of the flood were on the earth. Boy, God help us. God help us. Two of every kind. Two of every kind. Now the Bible tells us in verse 12 of chapter 7, it rained 40 days and 40 nights. And by the way, Scripture says that God shut the door. You look at verse 16 in chapter 7. So those that entered, male and female of all flesh, went in as God had commanded him. And the Lord shut him in. Now I believe the Lord did that for a reason. Noah did not want it on his conscience that he shut the door on all those people he preached to for 120 years. He didn't want to have to deal with that. So God shut the door. Can you imagine stepping into that ark? You got two of every species that God ever created in there. And you got your family. And you step in. And you've been in there seven days. And you talk about an ominous sense hanging in the air. And all of a sudden, and you look, and that door is shut. And Ham, Shem, and Japheth are over here, and their wives over here. And Mrs. Noah's over here. Who did that? God. So that it's not on your conscience that you shut them out. Verse 22 tells us everything died on dry land. Everything. Now quickly, people have wondered about that ark. Got some information on that ark. Taking the cubit to be a minimum of 17.5 inches, it's estimated that the ark had a deck area of 95,700 square feet. <laughs> That'd be a great church. I, that's about a Walmart. A volume of 1,396,000 cubic feet. A gross tonnage of 13,960 tons. And that, with its three floors, it reached a height of 45 feet. How high is that, do you think? Close to 40? I guarantee you the elephants would have been on the ground floor with me. All right. Now, I, you know, I don't, I don't have that. 95,000 square feet? I don't know. All the animals were divided into clean and unclean. One professor of biology at Smith College calculated the number of basic species and the amount of space required for living quarters, food, etc. And he found that the upper story would still have had space to spare. God supernaturally began to draw them. They all got in there and God shut the door. And folks, for the very first time, now think about it, when he first went in, there wasn't anything happening, 
And I think they were still walking by for those seven days. All the, the, now the nut's in there with his house and with his family and all those animals. But then the day came on the seventh day, darkness. I mean, all you ever saw when you looked up was blue, now clouds. What is that? And the rain began to fall, and the water began to rise. And I think there were screams and panic, and it was terrible, terrible. That's why God told him to build the ark with pitch, because it soundproofed it. He couldn't hear it, and it fell. And the whole world was flooded, and the Bible's clear in verse 22, everything died, everything that was on dry land died. So God destroyed all living things, verse 23, which were on the face of the ground, both man and cattle, creeping thing and bird of the air. They were destroyed from the earth, along with the Nephilim, and all that was taking place to destroy God's plan. Only Noah and those who were with him in the ark remained alive, and the waters prevailed on the earth for 150 days or about five months. And next week we're going to pick it up in chapter 8. Let's stand together, can we? And I want us to summarize tonight just with this. According to Matthew 24, 37 to 39, what are we to make of the flood? Jesus compares the end days preceding his return to earth and the judgment of the end times to these days of Noah. It is possible to compare the sudden escalation of evil to an almost unheard of proportion in our day with some of the abnormal corruption of Noah's day. Consider the increase of the worship of Satan in the mass of the satanic cults, even broadcast on radio. Consider, for example, the present study of practical use of witchcraft, also godless astrology, Consider the breakdown of sexual morality and the preponderance of abnormal sex relationships. Consider the breakdown of ethical standards, of family relationships, the widespread rebellion against God and his word, and the rejection of his authority over personal life. Consider the terrible addiction to harmful drugs. And drugs comes from a Greek word pharmakia, which means sorcery. That's where we get the word pharmacy especially among the youth of our day, surely there is an extraordinary movement of evil influence in our day. But, praise God, surely there is also a move of the Spirit in our day. The Bible says, as sin abounds, grace does much more abound. So let's just pray. Father, we just thank you that as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. There will be a high level of satanic activity, but there will also be a high level of the move of God. We want to be in the move of God. So Lord, help us to reap a great harvest of souls and use Turning Point to play a part in what you're doing in these last days. And Lord, above all else, help us, as Noah did, to walk with God and to have integrity in a twisted and a perverted generation. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.